0: Hey there, welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We've got a great show in store for you this week. We're gonna be talking to friend of the program, Paul F. Tompkins, the comedian and actor about starting a podcast with his wife during the pandemic and how they discovered the term weekend water, which not to overstate things, may have changed the course of my life. We're also gonna be talking to Sarah Marshall, host of the wildly popular podcast, You're Wrong About, on why a lot of us, myself included, tend to get it so wrong when it comes to huge news stories and events. And then we're going to hear some new music from blues artist Buffalo Nichols. So, there you have it. That is the plan for this week. It's going to be fun. It is going to be informative. So don't go anywhere. It all gets started right after this. Hey, Elena.
4: Hey, Luke. How you doing?
0: I am doing so well this week, and I am really ready to make some radio. Are you ready for this week's edition of Station Location Identification Examination?
4: Affirmative.
0: Okay. I'm going to give you some details about a part of the world where live wires on the radio, and you have to try to guess the place that I'm talking about.
4: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This
0: city's population has more than doubled since 1980, making it the most populous city in its state which makes it the 131st most populous city in the United States.
5: Mm. Let
0: me give you another hint. This might help. Okay. It's also the home to Buffalo Ridge, the 1880 cowboy town which is a totally automated Ooh. Wild West town populated only by robots. I think as we learned what? in Westworld, nothing bad can come from that.
4: Yeah, that sounds like maybe the <laughs> we're now airing live wire on a space station somewhere. <laughs> So it's, a, it's an oil thing. It's a Dakota. But I can't remember it's, it's a Dakota. which of the Dakotas has the oil. I'm just going it's, to say. It's,
0: it's, let's say it's not the Northern Dakota.
4: <laughs> okay. So is it Pierre, South Dakota?
0: You're close. It's Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls! South Dakota, oh. where folks are tuning in to K-A-U-R to listen to Livewire.
4: Awesome.
0: So, Shout out to everyone out there in Sioux Falls. Thanks for listening to the show. Speaking of our show, should we get to it? Let's do it. All right, take it away, Elena.
4: From PRX, it's LiveWire. This week, comedian Paul F. Tompkins. Listen,
6: once merch enters a marriage, there's no turning back. (laughs)
4: And
1: podcaster Sarah Marshall. I would always find little backdoor ways to cram a story about some kind of 80s media fiasco into a TV review. With music from Buffalo Nichols and our fabulous house band.
4: I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, the host of LiveWire, Luke Burbank! Hey, thank you so much,
0: Elena. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we've got a fun show in store for you this week. We asked the LiveWire listeners a question, which is, what's something from popular culture that you now realize you were wrong about?
5: Mm-hmm. This
0: is tied to one of our guests this hour, Sarah Marshall, who hosts the really incredible podcast, You're Wrong About. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to read those uh, submissions coming up a little bit later on in the show. First, though, we got to kick things off, as always, with... The best news we heard all week. This, of course, is our little reminder that there is good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what's the best news you heard this week?
4: Okay, this best news takes place in a very old, venerable synagogue in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. It's actually a synagogue that was built by people including Lazarus Cohen, was Leonard Cohen, the singer's great-grandfather. Wow. Yeah, so storied, beautiful, interesting synagogue, and in around 2015, a recent emigrate to Canada from Portugal named Braulio Roca took a job there as a custodian. He emigrated to Canada from Portugal with like $50 in his bank account and wow. very few possessions, except for he did have this kind of really inexpensive kind of dinky camera. His father had worked as a photojournalist for a while, and he's a real film buff. He loves Tim Burton movies and the big blockbuster George Lucas movies. He's got an eye for art and image. So he's working at the synagogue one day, and he hears this ruckus, and there's a bris happening. And people okay. are freaking out because the photographer- You never want to hear
0: freaking out and at a, bris. Or
4: ruckus at bris. In I the same <laughs> sentence. Well, this is an okay reason to freak out. It was just that the photographer that they had hired to take pictures of the family and whatnot was a no-show. And so oh. Braulio was like, uh, I got this rinky-dink camera in my car. I will shoot your family's photos for free. Fast forward to like five years later, the present day, he is now known throughout the city as the king of Montreal Bar and Bat Mitzvah Photography. He does as many as five ceremonies a week. He is booked straight into 2023. He's expanded into weddings. He's bought a house. He has a much, 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 much nicer camera. (laughs) And the story, which I read about in the New York Times, also includes some of his photographs, and they are absolutely incredible. You can totally see see the Tim Burton inspiration. Really? Oh my gosh. There's this one photo of this young girl at her bat mitzvah and she's standing by this wall that has a bunch of Torah scrolls on it with these curtains and she's opening a book and light is just like coming straight out of it. There's smoke effects. There's this one amazing photo of a father and son both bent over a book and they're bathed in this circle of light. And Browley was like, yeah, you know, that's the boulder scene from Indiana Jones. (laughs) (laughs) So this guy, he hasn't just sort
0: of cornered the market on, you know, taking these kinds of photos in Montreal, but he's also got a real artistic flair.
4: Yeah. Like he found a a way through this total like goodwill hunting serendipitous moment to connect his current job to this job that's like super connected to his passion. And he attributes his ability to become this king of Barabat mitzvah photography to uh, how welcoming the province and the country is to immigrants and how available it was for him to try first to arrive in the country, then to sustain employment, and then finally to realize his dreams.
0: Wow. That's such a cool story.
4: Yeah. I don't know, Elena,
0: if goldfish could become bot or bar mitzvah photographers, but I know what they can do. What? Thanks to a study (laughs) out of Ben-Gurion University uh, in Israel. They can apparently drive... (laughs) <laughs> Answering the question posed by, I would say, no one up until these two researchers <laughs> at Ben Gurion <laughs> University decided to try to figure this out. They basically have rigged up what they call an FOV, a fish-operated vehicle.
4: An FOV. An FOV.
0: An F-O-V <laughs> and it's a fish tank, and it's on kind of wheels through this complicated kind of LiDAR technology that I'm pretty sure involves lasers of some kind. <laughs> They can track the fish moving around in the tank, and then that actually directs this vehicle that the fish is sitting on top of. And so the fish can drive this car around the, the research lab, and they actually set up specific courses, and they want the, f- the fish has a certain way they're supposed to do it, and if they do it correctly, they uh, get a reward. <laughs> and it took about 10 driving lessons for these fish to figure it out, these cold fish. That's it? Yeah. I had, was in driver's ed for like eight months. <laughs> it still barely passed. Uh, they did interview one of the researchers, a guy named Ronan Segev, and he said, "Like humans, there is a spectrum. There's a range of how good goldfish
7: drivers are. There were uh, very good fish that were doing excellent, and there were uh, mediocre fish that were uh, showed controlling of the vehicle, but were uh, uh, were less uh, were less proficient in driving."
4: So they knew how to work the vehicle, they just didn't do it as well.
7: They were on their phones,
4: they were distracted. <laughs> there was a they good fish song on the radio, Splish Splash, or maybe a yep. Trey Anastasio.
0: <laughs> they were vibing out to the radio, they were, they were, but they knew how to operate the fish-operated vehicle, they just were doing it badly. But uh, Goldfish being, I guess, having it more together kind of intellectually than we, than we all realize, that's the best news Woo. that I've heard all week. Hey, if you want a little bit more of the best news in your life, head on over to the LiveWire podcast feed where you can listen to our brand new podcast, which is called The Best News. It's got positive stories from the the wider world. It's got a little update on how Elena and I are doing. It's just everything that you could possibly want to listen to on a Wednesday. And it is available wherever you get LiveWire in your podcast feeds. All right, let's welcome our first guest over to the show. If you are looking for comedy and or podcast royalty, Mm -hmm. and who isn't, Mm -mm. this person qualifies. He is Mr. Peanut Butter from BoJack Horseman. Uh, He was on Mr. Show. Uh, He's also appeared on hundreds of episodes of Comedy Bang Bang. Uh, Take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Paul F. Tompkins, recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall back in December.
6: Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me back, guys. It's a pleasure to see you again.
0: It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get you back up here for like a year and a half, and you wouldn't come.
6: Yeah, and I took a hurt. year off last year, and I said, <laughs> I'm going to really take some time to sit and think. <laughs>
0: At the beginning of the pandemic, I know you and your wife, the actor uh, Janie Haddad Tompkins, started doing this podcast, Stay F Homkins.
6: Yes, that's correct.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of Haddad Tompkins heads here. That's what that cheer was. Absolutely, the hat heads. Yes. And uh, this show has actually become really popular. It made a lot of kind of best of the year lists. It's a delight. First of all,
6: I wouldn't say it's become really popular. (laughs) (laughs) I would say we were surprised that anyone listened to it. Uh, by that by that measure, yes. It's astoundingly popular. <laughs> okay.
0: I feel like this podcast should be in uh, the Stay F. Homkins podcast, should be in the uh, Podcasting Hall of Fame for uh, just one thing, which is popularizing a term that you and Janie <laughs> engage in as you're recording the show. So the sort of conceit of the show is it's an after-dinner chat. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of talking about the world and your lives and everything, and you're enjoying a little... A weekend water. That's correct. <laughs> What's the story on weekend this, water? This
6: was a phrase that was coined by uh, Janie's mother, uh, who lives in South Carolina, and one of her grandchildren was making a move to um, pick up one of her drinks. Uh, I think this was at 4th of July, and she said, oh no, honey, don't touch that. That's, that's grandma's weekend water. <laughs> And we, I never forgot it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like that could really revolutionize someone's relationship with drinking.
5: Mm-hmm. Maybe not
0: even for the best.
5: Because mm-hmm.
0: like, oh, Definitely not for if the best. If it's Tuesday, so it's, are you having a drink? It's like four on Tuesday. You're like, I'm just having a little weekend water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really kind of takes the judgment off of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it just becomes
6: a matter of semantics.
0: Yes, yeah. yes. indeed. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if hosting this podcast with your wife has been good for the relationship, uh, bad for the relationship, if
6: things remained unchanged? I, it's been good for the relationship, I think. It, it was very, uh, it was a very weird thing. We'd never done anything like that before, and together. we'd never done a podcast together before. So it, it was like, well, this is my. A personal relationship with my wife I don't know if I want to share it And then it was fun Like the first time we did it It was fun And I was like I guess we're doing this For as long as we are Stuck here inside And then Then after things lifted It just seemed like Let's keep doing it But we, we couldn't do it With regular, the same regularity Because things started to uh, Like we started to work again And you know But I think we're going to Keep doing it once a month It's just It's become its own thing At this point And we have merch So we got to sell it
5: Yeah <laughs> You gotta once merch enters... Things.
6: Listen, yeah. once merch enters a marriage, yeah. there's no turning back.
0: <laughs> um, I think it was the, m- the most recent episode uh, where you were expressing a certain amount of concern for Adele. You feel like she is singing in some kind of <laughs> new accent. You know, what is your evidence?
6: Okay. We were, right before we started recording, we were listening to Adele's new album, and there's this style of singing that I think, I don't know if it's pushed on young women, like they have to do this Mm. if they want to have a hit, or if like young women are just like, oh, that's how people sing now, so I'll just do that. But I call it the the Cajun baby singing voice. (laughs) Because it's very, like, it's sort of like a, I'm sort of a child, but now I say toin instead of turn. Like, that's not a... that's not like a singing accent you can just have. Like, to just sound like a little baby Dr. John. It's all basically David
0: Sedaris singing the Oscar Mayer yeah. theme song as Billie Holiday.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was an Oscar Mayer weenard. you Nailed it. That's exactly what it is. Well,
0: that, but I mean, that's a thing that David Sedaris really does. I wish I could take credit for it. I'm just reporting the facts of yeah. the world.
6: Yeah. Oh, oh, and he sings it in the style of yeah, Billie Holiday. Yes, yeah. like a song that's a... exactly what
0: it is. <laughs> Speaking of singing, uh, I know that you are a fan of the Tam O'Shanter in Los Angeles, the yes. Scottish Steakhouse.
4: Not the hat. Well, <laughs> that, I wouldn't put I'm it past you. I'm also a fan you. of the hat. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past you.
6: I wouldn't put it past you. Wear one of those hats.
4: Do you own one? Of course
6: I do. <laughs> of course I do. Hold on, Paul. You know what?
0: We need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about the live caroling at the Tamil Shanty. <laughs> sure. And what a many cliffhanger, other, guys! Many. <laughs> of, <laughs> this is Livewire. We're talking to Paul F. Tompkins. Back with more in just a moment. <audio-titled> What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you.
2: Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. ZBiotics pre alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. ZBiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make ZBiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to ZBiotics.com slash LiveWire to get 15% off your first order when you use LiveWire at checkout. ZBiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to ZBiotics.com slash LiveWire and use the code LiveWire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times.
0: Welcome back to Live Wire from PRX, coming to you from Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Furbank here with Elena Casarello. We're talking to Paul F. Tompkins from Freedom and uh, BoJack Horseman and Mr. Show and so many other amazing fun places and the Tam O'Shanter, Los Angeles' leading Scottish steakhouse, mm-hmm. where they feature live Christmas carolers. Yes. Which, what, what's your relationship with, with that form of entertainment?
6: Well, <laughs> with that form of entertainment. I think it was a thing. Caroling, I think, was always a thing. I was scared would show up at my door. <laughs> it was a thing I was afraid I would be invited to do. Neither of those things ever happened. But you're such a good singer. Well, <laughs> don't, don't say that. <laughs> I'm okay. I do all right.
5: <laughs>
6: but there's something... There is... There is a weird thing. There's like a certain shyness that you get when you can do a thing, but you're asked to do it in a weird situation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I like to sing, but I don't want to be on somebody's front doorstep, <laughs> um, uh, 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 Love Actually style. And um, I mean, I would show up and turn the cards over for sure. I would do that. <laughs> if you if you want to print out the words to Good King Wenceslas on a On a series of cards, I will show up at someone's door and turn them over. (laughs) This is actually not a bad idea the more I'm thinking about it. It's a a bit of whimsy that I think people would enjoy. But uh, so I I started going to the Tam O'Shanter, which is one of the oldest restaurants in Hollywood. Uh, uh, Walt Disney's animators used to, uh, and I think still do. I think the Disney animators still out of tradition go there to get drunk. Um, And... Uh, I, a thing that I did not know the first time I went there with a friend of mine during the Christmas season, we were gonna, just going to meet up for a, a dinner and catch up, that they have strolling Victorian carolers that walk throughout the restaurant. And they come up to you and they ask you what song you want to hear. And you have to tell them the name of a song that you want to <laughs> hear. And then they sing it at you. Hello then, from the other side. <laughs> has to be a Christmas song. Oh. Although I've never tested that out. <laughs>
4: You can change I, it to, like, hello from the Yule Tide."
6: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so the first year that happened, we were like, that was weird. So the next year, we were like, how do we prevent that from happening again? <laughs> and so uh, we said, all right, we'll, we'll devise a plan. I don't think we can make them stop. So uh, we'll figure out where to look. Um, <laughs> and so it won't be as uncomfortable. So... Uh, what I did was afterwards we compared notes, and I said, "Where did you look?" And he said, "I just looked at the in the eyes of the ladies. I just did that." Huh. <laughs> and I said, "I looked, I looked sort of in the middle distance and nodded my head as if I was really into it, <laughs> like it was really powerful to me." So then we, the thing is, we kept forgetting that this was going to happen, and we had a yearly engagement after Thanksgiving. We would go to the Tamil O'Shander and have dinner. So then the next year, we're prepared for it. (laughs) And we say, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll tell them, oh, you already sang the one that we wanted to hear. We just heard you (laughs) sing it at this other table. Well, guess what? You could tell from the reaction, they had heard this before. (laughs) It got so (laughs) passive aggressive. They were all, all of them, four of them. In this Victorian garb, we're like, oh, okay, all right, great, yeah, no problem, no problem. And they're walking away, and we're like, it was so beautiful. I was like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, sure, uh-huh. And that felt so bad. So the next year, we're like, okay, we're just going to let it happen. And we're, you know, it's like, what, why are we bothered so much by this? So then that's the year that we're cheerful about it. We're like, yes, we can't wait. Let's hear, oh, holy night or whatever. Then we witness them getting into a weird fight about the key because the, one, the, one, oh, no. the guy <laughs> on the end says, what key is it in again? The guy on the, on the other end says it's in C. And so they start looking through the book and, like, trying to figure out what, what key is this in? And the guy on the end is like, it's in C, like I said. And then um, they finally find it on, in the book, and they say, okay. And, uh, <laughs> and the guy on the other one end says, okay, and it's in C. And the guy in the end says, like I said. <laughs> and then they sang the tensest Oh Holy Night that I'd ever heard.
0: You should invite them on your variety show that you've been doing in Los Angeles. You
6: know what? I should. I absolutely should. I should invite them out of season to get them on there.
0: Uh, talk about that because you've gone back to live performing. Uh, I'm wondering, like, for the audience are is the audience subdued or are they just like excited to be somewhere are the performers as everyone i mean what's the general feeling the audience
6: is very subdued it's not going well and um it's been it's been fantastic my first show back was uh in september and the the feeling in the room for for everybody on stage everybody off stage was just cathartic everyone was excited to be somewhere doing something that felt kind of normal it's a big show it's got a big band and uh, you know a lot of guests and everything and a lot of uh, songs to be learned and things like that and i i'm hoping to ride that feeling for as long as i possibly can
0: <laughs> people can watch this on vimeo if they're not in los that's angeles that's right luke <laughs> I was wondering, you're a very skilled improviser. You improv all these characters. (laughs) The irony is we planned that. That was was not improvised. That was scripted months ago. And he kind of stepped on my line. I did. I couldn't wait. I I got excited. One job, Tompkins. Um, Did you go to one of these improv programs, like Second City or Groundlings or I.O. or something? How did you get started with this? And when did you know, oh, this is something I'm actually kind
6: of have a knack for it. Yeah, it was really, it was uh, osmosis from doing podcasts because when I started doing characters, I never had to do that before to sustain a character and to sort of conceit and like a story over the course of of that long. And so from doing podcasts and doing them with other people who did that kind of character work regularly, uh, I got to a point where I was like, I think I want to throw myself into the deep end. I think I've I've learned the precepts of this um, from being around it and, and seeing it done so much. Um, and so I started, uh, I started doing like live improv shows, uh, like, if, uh, you know, a couple of people asked me to do it. And, and then I started doing a podcast where I had to improvise every week. And, um, that, that was a podcast called Spontane Nation. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that was like. I was like I'm just going to I'm going to make it so that I am the weakest link of every show and if I can if I can be good as the weakest link of the show then that's what I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to get people I'm going to get guests on the show who are so good and so skilled at doing this that that's how I'm going to learn how to do this.
0: That's amazing to me because as a Spontanea Nation listener, I assumed that we were sort of catching up with you in like year 15 of your hardcore improv (laughs) career. You
6: sure weren't. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow, that was impressive. You also uttered, Maybe one of the greatest lines I believe was on Spontaneous Nation. I don't know if this was improvised or actually part of you said. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who said, "You've reached the end of your Benjamin Franklin
6: quote of the month." Luke, can I tell you? <laughs> I, I say it in my head all the time. That was a scripted line from Bojack Horseman. Uh. Mr. Peanut Butter said that. <laughs> oh no! So not only did I not come up with it myself, <laughs> a cartoon dog said it. Yeah. <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins, everybody!
0: That was Paul F. Tompkins right here on LiveWire. His stand-up special, Crying and Driving, is available now, as are his many thousands of podcasts. Hey, special thanks this episode to Heidi Kaposinskis of Edina, Minnesota. Heidi is part of the LiveWire member community and is generously supporting the show with a donation each month. And we are very appreciative of that because without it, well, we kind of couldn't do the program. So a big thanks to Heidi for keeping LiveWire going. This is LiveWire from PRX. As we do each week, we ask the LiveWire listeners a question. We ask, what's something from popular culture that you now realize you were wrong about? Elena, what are the listeners saying?
4: (laughs) What do you think about this one from Lynn? Lynn. Lynn says, the Star Trek Enterprise theme song isn't anywhere near as bad as I thought it would be, based on what I heard from other Trekkies. I just binged watched the series, and the song has been stuck in my head ever since. So this must be a, a somewhat younger listener who didn't hear the Star Trek Enterprise. But, uh, I'm- listen,
0: this is... This is where we're going to lose about half of our audience, because <laughs> I, I, I'm so bad with Star Trek stuff. Is Star Trek Enterprise, is that the original one, the William Shatner one, or is that an updated version?
4: I'm only like 80% sh- like certain myself, but I definitely know that song. You probably do too, right?
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> People think that's You're, annoying.
0: You hit m- many more of those notes than I was expecting, actually. <laughs>
4: It's a great shower good. number.
0: <laughs> What's uh, something else that one of our listeners had wrong about pop culture?
4: How about this one from Kara? Kara says, My Beanie Baby collection was not as solid of an investment as I was led to
0: believe. <laughs> I watched the most amazing documentary about Beanie Babies. It's called Beanie Mania. Okay. It's on like HBO right now. And the most interesting part is it was a bubble, it burst and it's kind of bubbling back up again due to things like TikTok and YouTube. You have a whole generation of younger people now who are finding their parents' Beanie Baby collections (gasps) and creating these YouTube videos where they go through the collection and try to figure out the price for these various things. And so there is a little bit of attention now being paid again. So we may be at the beginning of another Beanie Baby bubble.
4: Kara, there's hope for your collection yet. Good news.
0: Exactly. All right, what's another pop culture thing that one of our listeners had wrong.
4: Oh, how about this one from Scott? Scott says, I mocked my sister mercilessly about her Snuggie when they first came out. She (laughs) gave me one as a joke the following Christmas, and I busted that bad boy out last winter, and now I see the light. (laughs) 2020 (laughs) and 2021 probably taught a lot of people how ingenious Snuggies truly were.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, you know, the government is now paying for antigen tests, which I think is a good Mm -hmm. idea, they should also send out a Snuggie with those tests.
4: Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, let's invite our next guest over. Uh, She's a writer, media critic, and host of the very popular modern history podcast, You're Wrong About, which reexamines news events that a lot of us misunderstood or or sort of misremember. Uh, The show has explored everything from satanic panic to if Yoko Ono really broke up the Beatles, Time Magazine called it one of the best podcasts of the year when it first came out. And it's continued to get rave reviews and lots and lots of downloads. Uh, Take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Sarah Marshall, which we recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, back in December. Sarah, welcome to the show. The, the kind of premise of You're Wrong About is, is that there are all of these big news events and things that we've all heard about, uh, but are often wrong about the details of mm-hmm. maybe who was at fault or what was really going on. I'm curious why it is you think that we get so much stuff wrong when there is so much information now to be had. We, are, we can Google anything and find it out, and yet we're often wrong about things.
1: We sure are. (laughs) I feel like the show had a more hard-to-sell premise two years ago um, because it was like, gee, it's funny. It's almost like the more available the correct information is, the harder it is for us to assimilate that. It's very strange, but it really happens a lot, and now it's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. But I, I think after looking at as many stories as the show has and seeing how they correlate, I think a couple of the things that turn up a lot is that we tend to believe what we hear first and then the truth takes longer to come out and then makes less of an impression because we've we're like i already have an impression i don't need another impression i'm fine (laughs) and that you know things that feel true tend to be what we believe and then what feels true to us is based on who we are
0: Mm -hmm. were were you as a journalist looking at this before you had the podcast and and Were you sort of fascinated with that? What what were you writing about? What was your relationship with going back and trying to more or less correct how people understood history before the podcast?
1: At the start of making the podcast, I felt like I had this gigantic backlog of stories that outlets I was trying to pitch freelance stories to weren't really that interested in hearing about. And I'd be like, Amy Fisher. And they'd be like, what, did she do something recently? I just feel like, no, but there's like people today that don't know the Amy Fisher story and it's really interesting and the way the reporting on it completely missed the point at the time and that's worth reflecting on. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I would always find little backdoor ways to cram a story about some kind of 80s media fiasco into a TV review. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then eventually it just took over. (laughs) Um,
0: I I also read that early on your interest in, in reporting out this kind of stuff was really kind of c- coming from a, a sort of a feminist approach, mm-hmm. particularly the ways that often women are misunderstood, misdescribed, mischaracterized, and you wanted to go in and kind of correct the record on that stuff?
1: Yeah, and I think the way I see myself getting started on this track is as an Oregonian growing up in the shadow of Tanya Harding. And knowing that that was a story that at first had brought national media to the Portland area in a way that we were like, was pretty new to us at the time. And then looking back not that long after the fact and thinking, gee, it's funny that this story that if you think about it as really a tragedy got to be a comedy. Hmm. Um, and then thinking about how many other stories are like that. And often the ones about young women are like that.
0: Now, writing about that and talking about it into a microphone are kind of two different things. Did you feel immediately comfortable and natural doing it, doing the podcast version? Because this podcast was kind of an immediate hit. Like, did you feel comfortable doing it kind of right away?
1: Uh, I mean, it was a learning curve. I think the thing about writing is that you can get it exactly the way you want to get it before you're releasing it to the world. Um, at least theoretically. And so I think there was something kind of emotional and imprecise about working in a conversational show format that first felt uncomfortable to me and I now realize is one of the great strengths of the medium and that I really appreciate is that if I'm telling you about somebody and if I'm getting emotional about it, then that's not a flaw to my analytical approach as it would be if I were in academia still. You have to kind of give up on making it an analog for the thing you know to embrace the strengths it has.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: We're talking to Sarah Marshall, host of uh, the You're Wrong About podcast. Um, one of the things that you have the benefit of doing this show is hindsight. So you can look back on a story like the OJ mm-hmm. trial or, I mean, I grew up going to Mike Warnke shows. Oh like I gosh. saw him do stand-up comedy. He was this person who you spent a lot of time talking about who yeah. kind of, helped create this satanic panic because he had all these wild stories of his time in Satanism, which all turned out to be made up. Um, But you have the benefit of hindsight. Uh, Have you also now developed this muscle enough that in real time, when the news is happening, you can kind of see like, all right, these are the parts of this story that we're all going to be, or maybe not all of us, but that are going to get misconstrued?
1: I I feel like sometimes I have that, but I also think that the kinds of misconstruals we have now are so extreme that like anyone can do that. It's... (laughs) Like having a superpower that lets you punch right through aluminum foil? (laughs) I'm sad that that was so funny.
0: (laughs) So you can see it, but you feel like it doesn't take extreme insight to see how these things are being uh, already sort of going off the rails informationally?
1: I think a lot of the time, yeah. I think we're living in a great age of misinformation. Like, misinformation clearly has always been a force that organizes society, but I think now it's moving faster and there's more of it. So it's like there have always been killer bees, but what if there were, like, way more killer bees moving <laughs> faster all around the world? Um, but, I mean, an example that comes to mind is the tragedy at World, where people uh, were suffocated killed by essentially the way a human crowd moves if there's over a certain threshold of people in a space that's too small and if the people at the back can't tell what's happening at the front and so the conspiracy theories that came up were blaming a specific person saying it was a Satan a satanic sacrifice and also arguing that people were being injected with random drugs, that people were going around injecting people,
0: I heard that yeah. actually from the police department early on, they were pursuing it as a possibility
1: yeah and and that makes sense and I think and also one of the consistent problems with the news is that it often reports what the police are speculating and be like, "Well, that's probably right, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, it's probably not <laughs> um, yeah. and the idea that if after Tragedy caused by human error happens, we want to point a specific finger at someone and possibly call them Satanist. That just seems very consistent over time.
0: Uh, I don't want to uh, be reductive, so forgive me, and I also want to encourage everyone to go download You're Wrong About if you haven't already. But can we run through some topics <laughs> from the show, and can you kind of just Give your kind of first thought from having done the shows, yeah. having done the research of, of what maybe people generally have wrong about it.
1: Yeah, I love lightning rounds. I'm yeah. very excited about Who this. Who doesn't?
0: <laughs> we can take as long as you want. Okay. Doesn't have to, there's no... It's a thunder round. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How about uh, Anna Nicole Smith? What's the misperception around her
1: Yeah, I think the misperception around her, and so many of these are people that I grew up watching VH1 specials about in the late 90s, um, is that she was this gold digger who found and preyed upon this incredibly sickly old man and married him for his millions. So, okay. So, in fact, they met when she was a stripper, and he courted her for years and years, and she finally agreed to marry him, and then, yes, he died, and she fought with his heirs for his money. And he also... Before her had another stripper who he loved and loved buying millions of dollars worth of things for. And that was kind of his pattern. And my argument there is like, what would you have done if you were her?
0: Yeah. <laughs> How about uh, Ebonics or the Ebonics controversy? What, what yeah. were you wrong about with that?
1: This one is also one I remembered from the schoolyard jokes um, in grade school in the 90s, which is amazing to look back on. And that one basically is based on the fact that I believe one school in one district was talking about, or schools in a single district were talking about teaching basically based on the conceit that you don't automatically correct African American Vernacular English, AAVE, that you recognize that it's a distinct grammar that makes as much sense as any other grammar and then teach using that as a tool. And that got morphed somehow into an incredible number of jokes and inflammatory media and uh, ultimately government doings based on the idea that all children all across America were going to be forced to abandon standard grammar.
0: So is the critical race theory of its time, basically? Oh, yeah.
1: I can't tell if it's more or less obviously made up. It's just like a race to the bottom, but Yeah.
0: What about uh, Dr. Oz?
1: <laughs> Dr. Oz is a medical wizard and a very honest man. and He, he can't come back, and he doesn't know how it works. Um, no, I mean, the basic Dr. Oz story is that he... I mean, this actually is kind of a backdoor to the fact that Oprah plays a supporting role in a lot of episodes, if you're wrong about, it, because she's... You know, because it makes good TV, she's really historically helped a lot of uh, people with wild and eventually proven to be untrue stories to have a gigantic platform. I'm sure everyone out there can think of like three different people. And, <laughs> and so the Dr. Oz story is basically that he's uh, promoting as the new wonder cure week after week things with marginal to non existent health benefits. And it's, you know, the. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've got the Wizard of Oz on the brain because I went to Movie Madness for the first time in years and I saw the Wizard of Oz's pants. Everyone go, everyone see the pants. But he's another Wizard of Oz.
0: Well, speaking of which, you've also got a a movie podcast with uh, Alex Stead called You Are Good. Yeah, Steed. Steed called You Are Good, (laughs) um, which was originally titled Why Are Dads?
1: Yes. What was
0: the original concept for the show?
1: The original premise was... I I mean, we decided to start a movie podcast kind of in the early days of the pandemic, and the original theme was Apocalypse Friends, movies about an apocalypse that are also kind of about friendship, so like Dawn of the Dead, which is very much about friendship, um, as we all know, and and then we realized that was too much of an epic downer, and we decided, okay, Dad's in movies, because everyone... Almost everyone has some kind of a relationship to at least one of those things. And we both have uh, idiosyncratic old dads who's, who our relationships with really shaped us as people. And so it was a we started off with what I believe to be mathematically the dadliest movie of all time, huh. which was Jaws. <laughs> really? Yeah.
0: What makes it the dadliest movie?
1: Well, okay. Here's my basic thoughts on Jaws. I feel like this is a dream I've had. Um, (laughs) You've got the scary, angry, greatest generation guy, model of masculinity, Robert Shaw, who was traumatized by sharks during World War II, and now is like traumatizing everyone around him as revenge. And then there's the young boomer guy who looks and probably acts exactly like Steven Spielberg and who's a man of science, And then there's Brody, who's the man of the law and who's a lovely dad to his lovely kids. And between the three of them, they're able to make a beautiful triangle of masculinity that's strong enough to (laughs) defeat the shark.
0: (laughs) You have made an airtight argument as to the dadliness of that film. Sarah Marshall, everyone, check out her podcast You're Wrong About, and you are good that was sarah marshall right here on live Wire. you can check out her podcast you're wrong about and you are good wherever you get your podcasts i'm luke burbank here with elena passarella we've got to take a quick break but don't go anywhere because we will be right back Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like Cinnamon Churro Chai and Blueberry Cream Earl Grey. Use the code Livewire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to Live Wire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right. Our musical guest this hour became the first solo blues act to sign with Fat Possum Records in almost 20 years. His self-titled album was released to rave reviews from everyone from The Guardian to No Depression magazine, who calls it a rewarding listen and one of the most promising debut records to come out in quite some time drawing influences from punk, West African, and Ukrainian music. He's made a classic blues sound that is, in fact, all his own. Buffalo Nichols, welcome to Livewire. Hi, thanks for having Hmm. me. I have really enjoyed getting to listen to your music this week and catch up on on what you've been up to. It's really good stuff. I know you you played punk previous uh, to this style of music that you're Mm -hmm. playing now, which is more of a blues style. What was the evolution like for you? I think a lot of people would not hear that connection immediately. Is there one for you?
7: Yeah. I mean, part of it was just growing up. I think blues is sort of just a more mature expression of the same angst. It's in part, mm. well similar. There's some, a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one being primarily young white kids, the other being mostly elderly black men. But, you know, there's there's some stuff that got in common. <laughs> I know that you, you
0: traveled for work outside of music. And I read that it was when you were traveling in Europe and even like Ukraine that you started to feel a real connection to, to first of all, to playing music for your profession again, and also to black artists playing music. Ukraine seems like an interesting place to arrive at that.
7: <laughs> yeah, I, I was just traveling leisurely, mostly. But yeah, I do remember one day taking a bus journey. It was like an 18-hour bus trip from uh, Berlin to, to Kiev in Ukraine, and... I woke up in the middle of a, of the bus ride, and somewhere in the middle, I thought it was middle of nowhere, Ukraine. And I saw a jazz and blues club, and I was like, "Well, if I can play one of those genres, I can work anywhere in the world." It seems. Uh. As I spent more time, like in in Germany and France, I just saw how, you know, you could fill a club with blues and jazz, which is a lot harder to do here. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you attribute that to? I know that there's a long history of, in particular, black musicians. Um, being received differently in Europe and being able to play styles of music to great acclaim that maybe doesn't receive the same acclaim over here, at least initially.
7: I think a big part of it is is obviously the novelty. You know, the music seems more, more exotic to them, so they appreciate it more. But um, the more I sort of started dedicating myself to black music and blues and roots music, I just felt it would kind of be important for me to remain where it comes from mm-hmm. in order to you know, truthfully create that kind of work.
0: What do you think is the truth of that work? Um, I was reading on your, on your website, Your it seems like you give a lot of thought to the connection between black musicians and blues music, which seems obvious. And yet there is a way that it gets taken in the
7: culture and kind of sometimes disassociated
0: from, from the origin story of
7: it. Yeah, I think um, it's really easy to sort of let the music industry introduce you to music and, you know, it's it's sort of a good introduction, but I think you have to go deeper with a lot of these, you know, genres as they're known and realize that they're cultural art forms. So the blues comes from a culture and it comes from people living and it. The making money off of it is sort of the thing that kind of spoiled it, I think. Mm. Well, uh, Buffalo, what song are you going to hear? I'm going to play a song, uh, the least bluesy song on the record. <laughs> it's called These Things. Nice. All right. This is Buffalo
0: Nichols here on Livewire.
3: If I could be your place to hide, I'd tell you the sweetest lies, knowing we won't get out alive. I tell you that we'll. Your mercy seat Where your secrets come to sleep And not the reason that you weep I wouldn't be alone With my heart in my throat And my stomach on the floor I'm beaten and I'm broken But I'm coming back for more And I miss you like an eagle With a broken wing Misses the skies above over these things if i could be up there with you i would only tell the truth and if it hurts like you from their lies but the ones I tell would fly circling up above our heads to feast on a love that's dead with your body close to mine and my heart in your hand if we're gonna die together let's do it to the rhythm of the band and I'll dance to your beating heart and you'll dance on my grave Promise that you'll break my neck When you know I can't be safe
0: Livewire. His latest album is Buffalo Nichols. You can go to buffalo-nichols.com to find out where and when Buffalo will be playing in a town near you. Hey, man, thank you so much for coming on the show.
4: That was wonderful.
0: My pleasure. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to a friend of yours, Elena, Matthew Gavin Frank. My buddy! Who wrote a book about diamond smuggling in Africa, which... Involves more pigeons than (laughs) I would have expected before I read that book. We're also going to talk to uh, Davey Rothbart and Cheryl Sanford. Talk about the documentary they collaborated on, 17 Blocks. This documentary took 20 years to make, but the result was a really incredibly powerful film. Then, Andrew Bird and Jimbo Mathis are going to play us some music. Uh, They've been collaborating for over 25 years, from back when they were in the Squirrel Nut Zippers together. <laughs> and of course, as always, we're gonna be looking to get your answer to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show?
4: If you could be a bird, what kind of bird would you be and why?
0: <laughs> I feel like that's a question you have many Potential answers to Elena Lake.
4: Our audience too. I feel like yeah. the intersection of Livewire mm-hmm. listeners and Bird fans is pretty pretty Big. deep intersection. Big.
0: That's right. <laughs> if you find yourself at that intersection, and you'd like to tell us about it. Go ahead and hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We're at Livewire Radio out there on all the various social media places. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of LiveWire. A huge thanks to our guests, Paul F. Tompkins, Sarah Marshall, and Buffalo Nichols. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines.
4: Laura Hatton is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Stephanie Moore is our social media manager. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Ayal Alves, Zach Domer, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided
0: by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. LiveWire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Heidi Kaposinskas of Edina, Minnesota. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.